0: Amen. Okay, we are in the book of Acts. For those of you who have not been here, let me give you just a minute or two um, oversight as to or review of what has transpired. In the book of Acts chapter one, we see that Jesus is ascending back to heaven. He's got his disciples with him. He's he's 11 and he, he tells them, okay, what I want you guys to do is I want you to just go wait in Jerusalem because he says we are going to Um, you guys are going to reach the ends of the world. The kingdom of God will be established. Um, and I'm going to send you power from heaven. The Greek word is dunamis, which is basically dynamite. God is saying to these guys, I'm going to give you dynamite and you're going to go throughout the world and you're going to take it over. You're going to take over the world. You're going to establish an empire like, um, Russia is trying to do with Ukraine to take over that territory. Uh, God says, I want to take over every nation of the world. In Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verse 23, Paul writes uh, about 30 odd years later, and he says the following, he says, The gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, maybe he meant it in his mind, maybe in his world, that's how he understood it. Or, literally, the gospel is spread throughout the whole world. Now, you can make of that what you want to. So these guys did it well. They spread the message of Jesus Christ through the whole known world without Facebook, WhatsApp, the Internet, pamphlets, 4x4s, Jeeps, Porsches, none of that. No emails. That's incredible. How did they do it? They did it through the power of of the spirit of God. The dunamis. The power of God. Um, then we see at the, later on in, ch- in chapter 1. These guys are busy waiting. And Peter realizes we need to fill the position of Judas. Because Judas betrayed Jesus. And he hung himself. Right? Uh, we need to choose somebody else. They cost lots. Matthias is chosen. Now there's 12 disciples. They're sitting in Jerusalem. They are waiting. And boom. A sound comes from heaven. That sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It fills the house where the apostles were, and they started speaking in different languages, tongues. The people in Jerusalem from all over the world. We, we had a map on here last week and the week before. People from all over the world were in Jerusalem, and they heard these guys speak in their languages, which is a miracle. You can't be an American Englishman. You know what I've, I've picked up? People realize we've got an accent within one second. I couldn't believe it. Every time. You go put in, you put in gas, um, 50 bucks, please. Where are you from? <laughs> so I go to the next uh, filling station, and I say, 50. He picks it up in one word. Where are you from? It's incredible. So imagine some people who never leave the country. Okay, you know they never leave the country, and suddenly this person can speak in French or, or Zulu or Tosa or something. It's an incredible, incredible miracle. And so last week we looked at that. We looked in um, not only at the speaking in tongues situation, but we looked at Peter's sermon. And Peter's sermon is an incredible sermon. It's the first gospel sermon ever on planet Earth. And Peter just says to these guys, these guys that's gathered by this house, right? Because they heard the sound, they heard them speaking in tongues. And all of this crowd of people are surrounding the house Imagine it's like here, there's a parking lot outside, just full of people. And Peter stands up and he says, some of you guys say these guys are drunk, that we are drunk. We're not drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And then he starts preaching to them, he starts explaining to them. Do you remember the prophet Joel? He said this day would come. Do you remember David? You guys believe in the Psalms. And Peter then quotes two Psalms that refer back to the idea that somebody in the line of David would not decay in the grave and then he tells them hey this guy jesus you guys crucified him you killed him but god spoke about this and he said it would happen so you with the help of evil men have nailed him to a cross and in a sense peter is trying to explain what had happened he's trying to explain what they've just experienced And he tries to explain what this whole gospel is about. Now, before we go on with what happens then, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you believe that you are saved? This is a very important question tonight. Do you believe that if you die tonight, that you will go to heaven? Are you sure of that? And on what do you base your surety? On what do you base it? In other words, if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, well, I'm going to heaven. Well, okay. How do you know that? How can you be sure about that? Because there are some people in the world, there are some theologians that says you can never be sure. The poor Muslim, he can never be sure. The Muslim can never be sure. He hopes that when he gets to his God that doesn't exist, that his God would say to him, you've done some better stuff than bad stuff. So because you did more good stuff than bad stuff, you're going to make it to heaven come in. Welcome. Some Christians believe very much the same thing. In actual fact, I would say most Christians believe the same thing. And maybe you're even sitting here tonight. And when I asked the question, do you know you're saved? You thought, I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I've done enough to get to heaven. What is it really that makes us assured that we are going to heaven when we die? What is it that we can do that assures us? That we're going to heaven. Because there's a verse in the Bible. It's in 1 John chapter 5. I think it's in verse 14. Where John writes and he says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, it's not something that we should debate. It's something that we should know. Okay? So that's the first question I want us to think about. Secondly, do you think that it is petty for God to tell us to get Baptized. Maybe for us, it's not petty. But let me tell you this. I've met many people who feel it's very petty. It's just water. I mean, what is the big deal about it? I mean, why would God, the creator of heaven and earth, say, hey, go dip yourself in water? How could that make any difference in whether I'm going to go to heaven or not? And then a third question is how do I get myself to repent? When I don't want to. Let me explain that. Sometimes we know we're wrong. We know we're wrong. But sort of we don't want to accept it. We don't want to accept it. when when, when it's sort of when it starts to dawn on us, okay, I might be wrong in this. I might be wrong in the way that I treated my child now. I might be wrong in the way that I did this relationship. I might be wrong in my in my, my sin. Yeah. I thought I was right, but I'm actually wrong. How do you convince yourself that you need to repent, that you actually just need to accept it? Because generally we don't want to accept it. Okay, now with those questions in mind, that sort of gives you a, uh, I don't know what what the word is, uh, an appetizer of where we are going, an appetizer. All right, so Peter has preached this great sermon. He has told these people That the Holy Spirit has come down. That's a sign from God. He told him that you saw Jesus Christ and the miracles that he did. We tell you that we saw him raised from the dead. Joel prophesied about this. David prophesied about it. That's loads of evidence. This Jesus Christ is the one um, that the, the prophet spoke about. He concludes that sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. That is a damning statement because he's saying to these people, you and God disagree. You thought that Jesus was nothing and he was a nobody and he was a person in rags. Well, I'm here to tell you that the prophets and David and the Holy Spirit and us as witnesses are telling you today that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Messiah. And guess what? You killed him. I remember uh, I had a girlfriend years before Alfreda. And I went to go visit her and she had lots of kittens. And one of the dogs <laughs> got hold of one of the kittens. And he was he was going to die. And I remember the situation. This girl looked at me like for help. I'm trying to impress her, you know. I'm I'm not a heart surgeon. I, I don't know how I'm going to fix this little kitten's lungs. And telling her it's probably going to die. And she's like, but can't you help it? Like take it out of its misery. And I can never forget like having to to walk to the back of like a building and find a way to take this cat out of its misery. It was horrible. What it feels like. To kill a little kitten. But knowing. That it would just suffer. And there were no. Uh, veterinary guys close by. And, and things like that. We had a similar incident with, uh, with, with the boys. We had, a, we, had three of, uh, we had two guinea pigs. Do you guys have that in America? I don't even know if you've got guinea pigs. The guinea pig had a stroke, so it was just lying on its side. The one side of the body didn't want to work, and it was also the same thing. We marched to the corner of the yard, that's me and the boys. Afraid didn't go worth, and we take a spade worth, and we're going we're gonna to bury a, a grave for this little fella, and we get there. <laughs> I thought this is going to be a wonderful experience for the boys to understand how life and death works. And I put the little I told them to look away when I when I unfortunately had to end this little beautiful creature's life. And the first thing that I think it was Micah said when he when he looked, when I said it's done, he said, was there lots of blood? <laughs> <laughs> I like, so I fill up the the tomb. I fill up the tomb and I and we make and they make all kinds of crosses with all, I mean, there's a million crosses on that little tomb. There's <laughs> just, just crosses, I mean. And we stood there, and I held them, and we, and we prayed. And both these young men just cried. It's interesting how it moves from is their blood to realizing this animal isn't has now died. The feeling of killing an animal is horrible. I don't know if you've ever killed an animal. I grew up on farms where when a, a dog kills a sheep, the dog gets killed right there. Because he's going to cost the business. If he's tasted blood once, you take him out. And I, I, I can never do that. I can never ever do that. Can you imagine how these guys felt when Peter said to them, you killed the son of God. Can you imagine? You killed The Messiah. He was innocent. He blessed you. He healed your children. You guys killed him. And that in a sense tells me that these guys were not that bad. Because listen to what happens when they hear this. When the people heard this. When they heard that they had killed Jesus. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to heart. This is how it works, ladies and gentlemen. When you do something that hurts somebody else and somebody comes and tells you that. You've hurt me. You've caused me suffering and pain. You hear it. It starts with hearing. And then it goes into your mind. And here you have to decide what you're going to do with it. What you're going to do with this thing that you've just heard. Are you going to allow it to go into your heart? That's what happens here. They were cut in heart. They heard. They allowed it to filter through into their hearts. So that they could actually feel what they have done. And then it goes True repentance, this is where it goes. They say, okay, so we've got hands. What do we do now? This is how it works. Head, heart, hands. You hear it goes into your head. It sinks into your heart. And then it moves into your hands. Repentance always moves you to do something. It does. If you cut in the heart, you want to do something about it. So your head sorts out the material. The head sorts out what what you hear. It decides what you allow into your heart. And when truth makes it to your heart, when truth makes it to your heart, then your life changes. Because then it affects what you do. Now, I have found people and myself, we tend to not like the truth. We tend to not like it. We tend to be distant towards it. We hear it. Hey, you, you, you're a bit aggressive. Or your wife says to you, hey, you, you're a bit, you, you're too quick tempered. Or your, your, your husband says to you, you you're, you're lazy. Or you're loud. Or your breath stinks. I had to put a funny one in there because you guys are serious. Like, I am serious. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do you just immediately kick it out? Have you already decided that your breath doesn't stink? You've already decided. So you just kick it out. Or do you allow it in and think about it for a moment and then ask yourself, honestly, is this true? Because if it is true, you have to let it sink into your heart. Because then it will change your behavior, what you do with your hands. You have to. And sometimes we do one of two things. We deny the truth. Oh, it's not true. Without thinking about it, you accept it's not true. Or you create your own truth. Isn't that what's happening in our world? You've got your truth. I've got my truth. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And so you can create your own truth. Um, Well then truth doesn't exist. If that's how it works, then truth doesn't exist. I think that we need to learn to really embrace the truth and think about it carefully, very carefully. Don't just dismiss what people tell you, but also don't just be sensitive about it. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. The moment you accept truth, it would mean you have to change. This is why we don't want to accept truth, because if you accept it, you allow it into your heart, you have to change. That's what happened to these guys. Oh my goodness, we, we are actually wrong. The prophets said we're wrong. The Holy Spirit just confirmed Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he did do the miracles. Everything Peter is saying is true. Yes, we did. Oh my goodness, we did kill Jesus. That's why it penetrated their hearts. And that's where your salvation comes from. Your salvation comes from that moment in your head when you say, I'm going to accept the truth. That's when God says, all right, I'm going I'm to sort you out. God is after the truth. He wants us to acknowledge the truth. That's all He wants from us. If the truth is that you are a scumbag, a murderer, and a drug addict, that is fine. God just wants you to acknowledge that. That is essentially what God is about. Because sometimes we think, what God requires of me... Is to be a perfect person inside and out. No. What God requires of you. Is to acknowledge the truth. Acknowledge that you need a savior. Because without him you're going nowhere. Successful people. Have managed. To effectively seek the truth. Objectively. That's what makes you successful. When you seek the truth. Objectively. And I I hope that you guys understand. um, What I'm talking about. Questions we can ask ourselves. I'm giving you examples, you know, based on what I said this morning as well. Am I really loving my wife like Christ loves the church? You will have a successful marriage when you deal with that question objectively. Ask yourself the question. I can preach this, like even me. I can preach this tonight and say, well, we need to love our wives like Christ loves the church. But tonight when I go lie in my bed, I need to think and search. Yeah, I need to think in my mind. Do I really love her? Like Christ loved the church. I've got to find the truth. If the answer is no. I need it to sink into my heart. And I need to fix my life. I need to come right. If it is yes. Then that's fine. Then I praise God for that. Um, is, my, uh, is my interpretation of a text. Objective. Is my interpretation of this text. Really objective. Is, is that really the truth. Am I greedy for money or do I just love business? you gotta, you got to like really search your own mind and your own heart. Who am I really? What's really the truth? Do I love money or do I just enjoy the business that I'm running? Someone asked me, um, this person said to me, well, how would you feel if this was said about you or that was said about you? And I said, well, I wouldn't be offended at all. This person's whole life falls apart because somebody said something. I said, it wouldn't mean anything to me. I said, it wouldn't offend me. It wouldn't hurt me. Um, And I think it came across as arrogant. Maybe it made him feel feel like, okay, well, there's there's something wrong with him. Um, And here's, here's the answer. Because if somebody says something about me, the first thing I ask is, or to me, the first thing I ask is, is it true? Because the only thing that matters to me is the truth. Wouldn't you say? Don't you think that's the only thing that matters? The truth. Well, what you just said to me or about me is not the truth. So I'm not going to let it bother me. Because it's not true. If what you're saying is the truth, I'm going to listen. I'm going to put it in my head. I'm going to maul it around. And if it's true, I'm going to allow it to sink into my heart and change me. Because then I need to change. So you only have one one of two options. So this thing of being offended the whole time, that's not of God. It's really not of God. If somebody says something that's not the truth, that's okay. It's what they say. Don't allow it to enter your life and hurt you and disturb your peace. The heart is the wellspring of life. You've got to protect it. You've got to make sure that this space here is filled with peace. We can't walk around and whatever people say affects us the whole time. And I see that sort of, American society is like this. You better not say that. I w- I, we went to go buy a game for the boys on the, for the, for the um, what do you call that thing? Nintendo Switch. And we get into the shop, and there's a lady behind the counter. And I said to her, hi, madam, can you please help me? Alfreya's like, don't say that. <laughs> In America, you can't say to somebody, hello, ma'am, or sir. You're not allowed to say gender stuff. I'm like, "What? you, she- it's a woman. Then I looked at the other till. And I heard this guy speak. I've heard him speaking the whole time. It looks like a woman. Dressed up in like woman clothes. And so that was the wrong place to say, hello, madam. So uh, in America, it's so you're going to walk around on eggshells everywhere you go because you're going to offend somebody. But we are God's people. I think we need to probably be a little bit more sensitive. I need to be. I'm working on that. But I don't think us, God's people, need to be so easily offended. If somebody says something is not the truth, fob it off, water on the back of a duck. It doesn't matter, it's not the truth. If somebody says something that is true, take it in, plant it in your heart, and ask yourself, what can I do? If somebody says you, you're offensive, or, or what, and you feel it's maybe true, then say, okay, my brother, what can I do about it? How do you think I can fix this? And that way, you always keep it safe. That's what these guys are doing. They heard it. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is the key verse. I mean, this is what God wants us to hear. What shall we do? What can we do, God? And then we get to this famous Church of Christ verse. This famous Church of Christ verse. And I I find it interesting. How uh, <laughs> the, the other the other the other oaks out there, the other denominations, they don't know what to do with this verse. They, they just don't know what to do with it. Oh, they try everything to get around it. Just for fun, I, I googled like, what does Acts 238 mean? And you must go read what these guys say. Like they just they just skip over this stuff. I mean, you can't get away from this in the Greek. There is no other interpretation of it. For those of you who don't know what it's about, let's read it. Peter replied. He said, okay, you want to know what to do? This is what you need to do. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, not just some of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask you tonight. Based on this, the first gospel sermon that ever existed. If I want my sins forgiven, what must I do? Is it difficult? I mean, is that hard to wrap your head around? You will be surprised how many people just fob this off. I don't know how they do it. I honestly, I don't know how they do it. And I wonder why it has developed into that. We call this, in Africa, we call it, you know, the one Acts with the 238s. One Acts with the 238s. Peter gives here the keys to the kingdom. He says, This is how you get into the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. When Peter said these words, heaven agreed. Immediately, heaven agreed. Now people can come into God's kingdom. Repentance. I'll share this with you. I'll share it again so that it's clear what repentance is. I believe it's three things. When I was young, I used to go steal my, we used to go visit my grandmother by the the sea. It was the most wonderful times. Grandparents, all the grandparents here, you need to know how incredible you are to those little kids. You are their heroes and grandmother used to bake us cookies the most amazing cookies on the planet i've yet to found, find them and she would always put them in a metal container on top of the shelf in the kitchen i don't know why she always put it so high and i would go two days done middle of the night i'd wake up those cookies and then after 3 days when grandma takes it down to give opa or grand grandpa some Some cookies with his breakfast. they would be done. And she'd be very upset. Only one person could reach the top there. My sister. (laughs) I keep quiet. She climbs into my sister. Because I'm too small and too cute. I'm the boy. I mean, I'm not going to do stuff like that. Meanwhile, my tummy looks like that. So, if I want to repent, what must I do? I need to go first of all, and I need to tell grandma, Grandma, it was me, not my sister. That's the first thing. It's confess. Yes, I'm wrong. Number one. Number two, grandma, I will never eat the cookies that you've worked so hard for behind your back at night. I'll never steal your cookies again. In other words, I'm turning around. I won't do this again. Number three, grandma, you know what? My mom gave me some pocket money. I'll go to the shop now and I'll buy the ingredients and bake new cookies. Won't taste as well, but I'll try. And the cookies will be replaced. That's true repentance. It's when you come to God and you say, yes, Lord. Number one, you have to acknowledge that you're in sin. You have to acknowledge and say, yes, I've been living a sinful life. I've been living with a woman that's not my wife. I've been having sex outside of marriage. I've been doing drugs. I've been drunk on the weekends. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner. You have to. You have to start there. Number two, Lord, I don't want to live this life anymore. Because when I look back, when I live this life this way, it all goes pear-shaped. I want to live your way. And number three, you know what? The rest of my life, I'm just going to stop living for sin. I'm going to start living for you, not for me anymore. And then he says, baptism. Then you get baptized. So you repent, then you get baptized. And this is a physical thing that you do. And it happens in the public. This act demonstrates your faith and commitment. What happens out there, give you a brief because I see I'm going on tonight. What happens out there briefly is that there are numerous scriptures, numerous, hundreds of scriptures. That indicates to us that faith is the thing that we need. That faith is the thing that pleases God. That when Jesus comes back, is he going to find faith on the earth? We have texts like Ephesians chapter 2 that says we have been saved by grace through faith. And listen, and this is not of ourselves, but because of him. Then we go to Romans chapter 10 that says that if you... Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. So there's loads of scriptures. And this is why there is this this, this theology out there that says, well, all you need is faith. It comes from those scriptures. And it makes sense. How do we relate this with baptism? How do we bring this to this one text? How do we make sense of this one text? Well, this is my suggestion. The baptism is the physical act that demonstrates your faith. You can't separate the two. Faith and actions go together. It's like breathing faith, action. Faith, action. They go together the whole time. You can't separate the two. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 16 He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Believe. Baptism. believe baptism. Believe action. Abraham believed God. Okay. Go kill your son on the mountain. There's always an action that God requires based on your faith. Some people might say, well, what if I die before I get baptized? You've heard that before. What if I die? So I repent, but I don't get baptized. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, what if I die before I get baptized? Okay, well... Um, well, do you think God is that petty? Do you think God is that petty? Oh, he's going to keep you out of heaven now because of that. Or maybe I should swap the question around. What if you don't die and you don't get baptized? What about that question? Well, it's not important. We can just fob it off. You sure that you want to meet God after you've read this text and you refuse to get baptized? You want to meet God on these terms? What about the thief on the cross? Jesus forgave. He said, oh, absolutely. Jesus can forgive sins when he wants to, to whom he wants to, as much as he wants to. He's God on earth. But Jesus, when he was on earth, had authority to forgive sins. And that's before the the gospel was put into place. What if there's no water is another question. Ladies and gentlemen, what if there's no water? We had a lady in Africa. My grandfather taught her the gospel. She would walk from one hill to another, telling people about the cross. And she would come across people. Now, this is rural. No swimming pools. Okay, and the rivers that you have here, no rivers like that. She would carry a spade with her. She would go down into the valleys. If she finds somebody that wants to be baptized, she would dig until it was deep enough. Until that she could find enough water so that she could dip somebody in. Where you have humans, you have water. And then we find I mean, in this text, I heard a lady the other day. She said to me, based on this, do you think that there were literally 3,000? Those 3,000 people that got baptized, they all marched down in a line down to the water to get baptized. Do you really think that? I mean, it's ridiculous, she would say. I would say, well, I honestly, probably the text says so. I think we just go with it. How would you feel about that? Do you believe the rest of the Bible or do you want to cut out this piece like we spoke about this morning? And the question then might be, okay, well, why do this? Why do this baptism thing? Well, would you, um, do you want God to forgive you? Don't you? I mean, do you want God to forgive you? Um, If you're really sorry, get baptized in his name. The name of the person you've killed? Have you thought about this? I mean, these guys specifically. Have you thought about what Peter is saying to them? This guy that you killed, and you thought that he's nothing, and then Peter says, "Okay, now go get baptized in His name." Yo, oh, that must have been rough. So, if you wanna, you wanna say sorry to Jesus, if if you feel that you've done a bad thing, okay, go get baptized in His name. I've got, I've, I want to tell you something. This guy is not dead. So you either get baptized or he's coming for you. That's not like that. But can you imagine that? He's not dead. But in a way, that is the gospel. He's coming back. And he's going to get you for what you've done. He's going to hold you accountable for you having killed him. And that message is for us as well tonight. You think you can live your life just like you want to? God gave you life. He makes you breathe. He puts the heart in your chest. And you just do with your life what you think you can, with your body what you think you can. Your body doesn't even belong to you. This planet doesn't belong to us. Your house doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him. And He's coming back to hold us accountable. Each and every one of us. I think this must have been difficult for these guys. The text says when you do that, when you get baptized, then your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like... Peter is saying to them, what you saw here were happening with the spirit, that is what will happen to you. And the promises of Joel will be fulfilled even in your life. Now, the question I asked is, how do you know you're saved? And maybe this is the reason I think why God built it in like this, into this salvation system. The reason why he's placed baptism in it. God could have said, okay, just believe in your heart. And that's fine. But the reason why he did this is because we are physical beings and we remember physical things and we associate it with physical situations. God wanted us to have a specific time in place where we could be assured of our salvation. In other words, if you believe and you've repented and you've been baptized, you can be sure of your salvation that's why he gave us this physical thing to do yes god doesn't need baptism to save us but it's what he gave us this is what he told us and when we do that we can be sure that there's nothing else that needs to be done which is simple isn't it it's really not that difficult And then he goes on to say, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's a promise. God is saying, I promise you that whoever is invited and whoever accepts and responds in repentance and baptism will be forgiven of their sins and will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for all generations. It's a promise to you tonight. It's a promise to me that if I repent of my sin and I get baptized, God will let his spirit come into my life. And he will change me from the inside out. And my life will change forever. And my sins will be forgiven. The sins that I can't seem to let go of. He removes that from me. And then in verse 40 to 41. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I just said to Micah earlier, that word for corrupt is zozo. <laughs> yeah. So poor Peter is saying to them, okay, you've, you obey the gospel, you get baptized, okay? And now what then happens is you need to tear yourself away from your generation of corruptness. In other words, start living a different life than this generation does. Separate yourself from these people. These guys don't think straight. They don't seek God. Get yourself separated from them. Many people in our little town are lost, ladies and gentlemen. They are lost. We have to separate ourselves from them. Uh, obviously, in the correct sense, we never stop trying to influence them, but we don't become like them. And verse 41 actually says in the Greek, those who accepted his message were baptized. That then the Greek it actually said they did it with pleasure. When your heart is truly cut, you know you're wrong, you will with pleasure do the right thing. So, ah, I didn't put a conclusion in. Bad PowerPoint guy. Three lessons. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The difference between Peter and Judas. Physical action like baptism. Confirms your inner faith. To others. And to God. That's where the significance of baptism comes in. It shows God you really believe. And it shows others you really believe. In Muslim countries. If you say you believe in Jesus. They say fine. When you get baptized. They reject you. Why? There's something about it. You've now done a physical thing in the presence of witnesses. They reject you. Even the Muslims do that. So the physical action shows people, okay, this guy really believes. It's like you're giving your all. It's like, it's like okay, I believe you love the girl, but I only believe you really love her when you get married to her, Brock. Well done, bud. Good job. That's when you get married. That's when you be really believe, okay, the guy loves her. The same with your baptism. And lastly, thirdly, baptism brings assurance of God's promise being fulfilled. If you want God to forgive you, and you want His Spirit to live within you, there's only one thing you can do. Repent and be baptized. And people debate this. They say, well, uh, you know, the Spirit lives in this guy. Well, how do you know that? How do you know? And maybe that's a further discussion for another day.